Well, good evening, everyone. Um, I've been uh, thinking and praying uh, this week, and God brought something to my heart that I don't know if this will mean anything to you, but it meant something to me, so I wanted to share it with you. I, I, I have a, a guiding idea in my life that... Uh, that God has called us to live extraordinary lives. That He has envisioned something amazing for us to participate in, to be part of His story. But all too often, life happens and uh, disappointments happen, that people burn you, people hurt you. You start taking less risks, you stop reaching out, because it seems like every time you do, you get smacked down. And pretty soon, this extraordinary life that God had envisioned for us to live, we've settled for the mundane, we've settled for the predictable, we've settled for what we know and what we can predict and what we can see. And I think when we do that, we just, we miss out and we just, we, we end up just living and not really even living, just existing. I don't know, it just, uh, it grieves me to think that so many of us fall into that, that trap that, that we, we start to reserve and hold back our love and, and our generosity because we're, we're so scared that it just might not work out or we might get hurt again. And I just, I feel that God wants so much more for us. Again, I don't know if that means anything to you or, or if it does or if, it, if it's relevant, but it's something that, that is a deep-seated thing in me. I just, like, it hurts me when I see people who have been so gifted and, 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 and have been given so much to, to hold back because of the fear of the, the what-ifs in life or, or the ba past bad experiences that we didn't, we, all we learned from that was, you know what, when I try, when I reach out, when I go outside of my, my bubble, I get hurt, so I'm just not going to do it anymore. And I feel that when, when we do that, the enemy wins, that, that the world becomes a worse place. And I believe that God has called us to a much greater existence than that. A life way beyond that most of us could ever probably imagine. And many times a life that, that we know that even the, the smallest little action that we take, we may never even see the, the outcomes of, of those actions, but we know that we have a God that doesn't waste anything. That a God that can make it uh, or allow us to be part of His story and when we make decisions that honor Him, even though maybe no one will ever know or maybe we'll never even know what it does, that it can have eternal benefits. And I don't know, just when we've been looking in the the, the, the story of Ruth and the book of Ruth, it's just amazing to me, that, you know, these different kind of mundane decisions that 
have been made and the difference between the people who make decisions that are honoring to God and people who make decisions that basically serve themselves and how that changes things, that our decisions matter, that our attitudes matter. That, you know, when we opened up at the beginning of the series, in the beginning of the book of Ruth, we, the, the scene opens up in a faraway land called Moab, and there's these three women who were widows. There was this mother-in-law named Mara, excuse me, Mar, uh, Naomi, who wanted to be known as Mara because life had been so bitter to her, and Mara in Hebrew means bitter, that she had her two daughter-in-laws who were not from her land. They weren't Jewish. They were Moabite. One was named Orpah, and the other one was named Ruth. And Naomi one day just decided, you know what, this isn't my land, this is not my people, and there's no reason for me to be here. I am going to go back to Israel. And after she made that decision, if you remember, she said, hey, you girls, go back to your people. You know what, you're not really probably going to be all that welcome in, in Israel, and you know what, you're young, and you you could probably get remarried and, and have a good life, so why don't you go? And at this point, decisions need to be made. And we see one woman named Orpah makes a decision to go back. She says, you know what, that makes sense. That looks good on paper. That, you know, look out for number one. I'm going to go do that. And then you have Ruth who says, you know what, that, that may sound good, but I, I feel that that our relationship is more important than maybe going back to what I know and, and that I, I need to venture out with you, Naomi, that, that God has knit us together somehow, and I feel that I have to honor that relationship. So they go back and they get to Israel, and things are tough <laughs> to widows in a in a land and they're hungry and they're poor and in their in their need they decide you know what it it says in God's word that that people who are farmers and landowners that they're meant to keep their their fields at, at the corners unharvested so so widows and foreigners can, can eat so they won't starve to death. And they probably look at each other, widow, foreigner. And, and Naomi looks at Ruth and says, you're a widow and foreigner. So you're, you're like, double good. Why don't you go? So she goes over and she's walking around. I can just imagine first field, yeah, no grain left over. Second field, no grain left over. Just going through, just like wondering, you know, who are these people? They say they're the children of God. They're the, the, and, you know, God says, hey, leave the corners of the fields undone, unharvested, but they're, they're all been harvested. And then she comes across a man's field named Boaz. And this is a man who, who maybe, you know, he looked at the corners of his field and said, you know what, I should harvest those. You know, why? it's my land. I, I, I uh, 
farmed it. I don't know what you call it. You, I cast the, sowed the seed. You know, I, you know, the Bible says I reap what I sow. You know, all that kind of good stuff. You know, why, why shouldn't I? You know, this, this was the way he made a living. You know, there's probably lots of things that he wanted to do. He was probably sitting there going like, wow, you know, if I harvest the corners, you know, hey, maybe I could get, you know, the, the new, uh, uh, you know, 09 donkey model or whatever. I don't know what, you know, or, or maybe I can get a, a, a bigger, you know, house or, or maybe I can get something else. You know, I don't know what Boaz desired, but, you know, there's always throughout history been shiny little objects that, that we want. We talked about iPods and iPhones and I ever, whatever, you know, kind of kind of things that we all kind of desire and that, and that we want. And, and, and those, are, those are okay as long as they don't become, you know, the centralized thing of what we desire. We start to neglect what God has called us to do. So he... He made a decision, and I can imagine looking at the corners of his fields when he was making that decision, and going, what does it really matter? You know, what does it really matter if my, I leave the corners of my field unharvested? What difference is it going to make? It's probably, you know, he's, he, he probably went through his mind and said, well, you know, there's probably not any widows or foreigners around anyway, and it's just going to you know, die and it's just going to be worthless and it's going to be a total waste. But something in Boaz said, you know what? I'm going to put aside my personal preferences and I'm just going to, even though I don't see how it's going to make a difference, I am going to yield my will to God's will for me. And even though I don't get it, I'm, I'm going to leave this field of the corners unharvested. And because he made that decision, everything changed. And as Ruth was walking around, she finally comes to this field and, and she sees it and she's like, oh, awesome. So she's gathering and then she meets Boaz and they start to build a relationship. And that relationship grows. And then last week, I know none of you were here, so uh, <laughs> I'll just let you know that that uh, Naomi and Ruth came, Ruth came up with a plan, and and uh, she uh, she snuck into Boaz's bed. See, now you wish you were here, don't you? Uh, and uh, and and Boaz showed himself as yet again a man of honor. He didn't take advantage of the of the situation, and. Uh, and he said, you know what? I'm going to look after you. I'm going, to, I'm going to help you in this situation. And this is where the story picks up in verse 4. Boaz, the night before, said, hey, Ruth, you know, uh, we're going to do this right. We're going to do this the right way. And I know that you want to marry me, and, and I would like to marry you, but, but that doesn't line up with how God has, has laid it out, the path that God has laid for us. And even though it seems like, hey, that would make us happy and this is the right thing to do, yet again, Boaz says, hey, you know what? I just have to do what God has called me to do and, and believe that he sees the bigger picture. So, in chapter 4. So, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. 
in the town gate in those days, that's where business was taken care of. That's where uh, people would set up their booths, you know, like the farmer's market and stuff like that, and business would be conducted. When the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, Boaz called out to him, Come over here, friend. I want to talk to you. Always sounds like a used car dealer for that part. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, the bitter one? I added that. Who came back from Moab? She is selling the land that belonged to our relative, Emelech. I felt that you should speak, I should speak to you about it so you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. Now, last week we talked a little bit about how this whole family redeemer thing happens. You see, there needed to be three characteristics of a family redeemer. Now, we don't really know why Naomi was selling the land. Uh, it's probably because uh, she had had to uh, go into debt or her husband, Emelech, had gone into debt and somebody else was working the field. And essentially, what would happen is the law that was set up was if you were a widow, the, the brother of the dead husband would marry that widow and uh, they would try to conceive a son. And if there was a son that was conceived, that that son would carry on the family name and inherit uh, the, the land of his dead uh, relative, of the, of the dead husband. But if that person didn't want to take it, then I'm not sure of the structure. But basically, it goes from, you know, uh, you know, brother of dead husband has first dibs. Then maybe it goes to uncle and cousin, second cousin, and, you know, the guy working the counter at Walmart or whatever, you know. But basically, they, they had it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out, but there was some sort of line that it went along. And this guy was first in line to redeem this. And uh, so Boaz is coming and saying, look, all right, so first you had to be uh, the, the nearest kin. The second thing that you had to have was you, you needed to be able to pay. You had to have the cash to do it. Um, you had to be able to redeem the property that was held in hawk. And then the third thing is you actually had to be willing to do it. You didn't have to do it. You had to be willing to do it. So after he asked that, the man said, all right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land for Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite woman, widow. That way she can have also, also required, excuse me, that way you can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied. And listen to this, this is important. Because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. In those days, it was custom in Israel for anyone transferring the right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. Kind of a bizarre thing. I won't make you touch my nasty sandal. 
This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal and he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the leaders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Emelech, Kilon, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. You guys pray with me. Dear God, I just pray that you'll open up our hearts and minds as we look into this today. That uh, we can identify and, and uh, just be touched by you and touch through this story. God, I just pray for those who are here hurting uh, and just seeking you, seeking hope, seeking your perfect touch that you will reach into their lives and, and just let them know that you are present, that you are here, and that you care. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's kind of interesting that this guy... This first kinsman redeemer that that he had two of the the three characteristics of a kinsman redeemer that that he was the closest relative. He obviously had the money, but he was not willing. And it's kind of interesting, you know. We don't really know why he wasn't willing. He was willing to take the land, but he wasn't willing to marry Ruth. We don't know why. Maybe, you know, Ruth just didn't do it for him. Or, or who knows, you know, he may have been scared because, you know, you think about it, she was almost like, you know, maybe you looked at it as like a praying mantis. She mates and she kills. You know, there was like, this family was like cursed somehow. You know, they all went off and, you know, these women all had husbands and they all assumed room temperature, you know, and he just didn't want to be the next in line of this, of this, uh, you know, this chain. He didn't want to get in on this parade. So he's like, yeah, no, you know, uh, I'd like the land, but I don't like the roof, Ruth. And uh, so we don't know why, but we do know that to him, the addition of Ruth, the cost became too high. And then he says something that I think is really indicates the problem and the and and the and the core of a lot of things that that we personally struggle with. You see, he heard the cost. And he says, "Look, I can't do it because this might endanger my own estate." I mean, this, this statement is a manifestation of everything that's dark and ugly in the human race. It manifests this, this idea of, of greed and selfishness. Putting our needs and our desires over God's perfect will and over the needs of others. That, that this statement this might endanger my own estate, has separated 
people from the vision that God has had for their lives for thousands of years. That this, this might keeps us out of the story of God. This, this fear of the, of the unknown. You see, he had an opportunity here. That he was first in line to be part of the redemption of the world. And he looked at it and knew what God had called him to do. He knew that he was the kinsman redeemer, that it had been written, it was in the law, that's what, and everybody knew it, Boaz knew it, and he came up to him and he said, you know what, when it looked like it was going to financially benefit me, I was all about it, but then when I saw the additional cost and saw that there was unknown factors, I didn't want anything part of it because it might endanger my estate. Maybe not in those words, but how many times have we had that attitude when we have seen something that God has called us to do, either if it's being generous with our time or our money or, or loving somebody, and we have pulled back and said, you know what, I don't want to do it, even though God has clearly said He wants me to do this, that I don't step forward because it might endanger my comfort, it might endanger my well-being it might endanger my work or my relationships or it might endanger my 401ks or my schoolwork or you know whatever and so we step back and we refuse to sacrifice because it might endanger something that we hold more dearly than the whole world and the future and God's vision for our lives. And when we do so, we are essentially saying, you know what, God, I know that you have designed me and put me together and envisioned an extraordinary life for me, but it might cost me too much. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to live a mundane life. I'm going to live a life that is controlled by what, I, by what I can see and what I can touch and what I can do. Last week, we introduced you to a woman just who lives a few miles from here, Miss Patricia, lives in Frenchtown, and she's raising her grandson, Christian. We showed you a video of, of Patricia and, and Christian and showed you a video of of. The circumstances that she's living in, she's living in a, in a home that's falling apart. As you walk in the home, you see all the, the rot, and you walk through, and you have to walk carefully because you're afraid that you're going to fall through the floor. She showed us a board that they put up to, to slow the, this is quote, slow the traffic of mice going through her home. I'm from Los Angeles. I know traffic. And just that visualization of bumper to bunker, bumper mice honking their little horns going, come on, come on, I got cheese to get to or something like that. It's just almost more than I could take. 
And then walking into her bathroom, you see this, we saw on the video, this, this toilet looked like it was about to fall through the floor. And then as you walk out the house, you see raw sewage flowing out from underneath the house into the street just a few miles from here. Uh, if you want to see the video, you can look at, I have it posted on my, my, uh, my uh, Facebook page. And, you know, we looked at that as a community and said, you know what? This is wrong and we need to get involved here. But what above that was, some people in our community said, you know what? Well, you guys are putting together, you know, the logistics of a thing. That's cool. We understand that needs to happen, but we're going down there today and we are going to fix that toilet and fix that broken pipe. So they go down there with holy discontentment and they open up Miss Patricia's toilet and, and her floor and, and they go down into where, right under the house and, and they're, they're knee deep in stuff. And they start digging this out and, and they repair the, the, pipe, the pipe and they remount this toilet so, so it's solid. And we, you know, and I don't know about you, but it, it's hard for me to even imagine to, to live in, in those kind of conditions. That, that it, it's hard to imagine that how they must have felt when they would go and want to go contemplate something, but couldn't think about anything else except maybe this was the time that they were going to fall through the floor. And it's amazing to me that some people here, even though we're looking at doing something much larger, said this is something that I can go out and do now. Now, let me tell you the amazing thing and the connection here. The might. They could have very easily used the might to stop them from going down there and do it. Think about it. You know what? We might go down there and, and we might get in trouble. I don't know if they pulled permits or not. I really don't care. We might get some funky disease. I mean, they're in the middle of stuff. Digging it out. You know, we might get dirty. We might get smelly. I don't even know if that was a might. I'm sure that was a given. That, that this is going to be against my personal preferences. Guaranteed. And they put themselves outside of their personal preferences, outside of what they wanted. Out, and they weren't controlled by the what-ifs and the mights. And they said, you know what? We serve a mighty God. And what we do know is that this woman prayed for someone to come in and help her. She has been trying to get the city to help her since 2004. And they said, you know what, we can do this today. And they 
did it. They were the answer to Miss Patricia's prayer. Now, again, I'm just human. You're just human. We don't know if they just fixed the toilet or is that really going to cause a butterfly effect? What does it really matter? Well, one thing interesting, we talked about this last week, that Miss Patricia is raising her 12-year-old, 13-year-old grandson, Christian, and some people that work in the prison systems here, uh, somebody came up to me and said, you know what, Florida prisons are filled with young men who are just like Christian, being raised by their grandparents, no real positive influence. And I don't know, but what if us coming in and, and loving Miss Patricia and, and loving Christian in a tangible way, being the tangible hand of Christ and, and going into their life and going, look, Christian, you know what? I know that it looks hopeless right now, but God loves you and we love you and we are here to walk alongside you. What if that changes the course? As much as it changed Orpah's course, as much as it changed, what was the name of the original kinsman redeemer? We don't know. We don't know. I don't even think Boaz knew. Check this out. He's all, come over here, friend. That's like, like the BC version of like, hey, dude, or what's up, buddy, or, or, or whatever. This guy lived, took, was controlled by the might and took a step back and did not flap his wings. And people ask me all the time, you know, why Frenchtown? Why Benin, Africa? Why Guatemala? Thank you. Uh, it wasn't in some, you know, design. It, 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 these things, God put them into this community and said, you know what? These are the prayers that I'm asking you guys to answer. Now, you have the choice. You can be my tangible hand that you can answer them and flap your wings and change the world. Or you can just be another church that people go, what was the name of that church? Or the name of those people? No. You know what? Maybe, and I don't know, and I, my imagination was just going wild, but what if Christian, Patricia's grandson, what if somebody in this place raises up to really invest in Christian, to be his mentor? What if we, that Christian is able to witness people that he doesn't even know coming in and, and digging through their stuff and cleaning it up and, and working on their home and loving them and helping them transcend the cycle of poverty. What if that changes the course of that young man? What if the course right now that that young man is on is headed toward the penitentiary? And I just will just say that. And... Crime always has victims. What if Christian, if we just say, we're not going to answer this prayer, what if 
Christian just falls and fades away and he becomes a statistic. Now let me ask you another question. By our involvement, is it plausible, is it possible that a positive touch there could change that? And who knows what God has in store for this young man? His whole life is ahead of him. He could become a doctor. Maybe he would even deliver your child someday. Wouldn't that be bizarre? Or maybe a contractor and work on your home and, and, and maybe builds a, a home for children that were just like him or a school. Maybe he becomes a scientist and, and discovers a cure for a disease that someone in this community has. I don't know. It really isn't for us to know. It doesn't matter. Because just like Boaz decided, you know what? I'm going to leave the corners of my field unharvested. And I don't know if it's going to make any difference or not. I'm just going to do it because that's what God asked me to do. So shall we say, you know what? I don't know if it's going to make any difference in the scheme of things or not. But it really doesn't matter to us. What we do know is God has called us to be the voice of the oppressed and to love and be the advocate of, of widows and orphans. To be his tangible hand in a lost and hurting world. We cannot be controlled by the mites. What if Christian decides to go and do his own thing? That might happen as well. You know what? That's not for us to decide. God has already plotted out what He expects of His followers. Now, we were talking about the kinsman redeemer. How it had to be a kinsman, had to be able to pay the redemption price, and had to be willing. And as this nameless guy, we don't know who he was, he was too out of the three. But we all have had a kinsman redeemer in, in our lives. His name is Jesus. You see, our God, our Father, loved us so much and wanted to redeem our broken relationship with Him that He sent His Son to be the kinsman redeemer for us. And He was able to do that because of our Father in heaven. And He was able to pay the redemptive price that all of us, like it or not, we've all messed up along the way. We've all have broken relationships. We've hurt people. We've cheated. We've stolen. We've lied. We have not lived up to God's perfect standard. And the truth is, if we want to be with and spend eternity with a perfect God, we cannot bring our imperfections with us. But with every debt, a price must be paid. Just like Naomi's land, there was a debt, and it had to be paid by a kinsman redeemer. And like Naomi, we have no way to pay. And that's why God sent a kinsman redeemer known as Jesus. 
And because of his perfect life that he had the ability to pay. But the greatest thing was that he was also willing to pay. He was willing to pay our price so that we could reestablish our relationship with God. You see, the whole story of God is about kinsmen, redeemers. It's all about redemption. It's all about second chances. It's all about being redeemed and going out and redeeming others' debts. And we have a choice. We can be part of that and live extraordinary lives or we can stand back and say, it might endanger my own estate. Fade into history like Orpah or Boaz's friend here. Never to be heard of and never to impact anyone again. You see, God has called us to an extraordinary existence. To be part of something greater than we could ever imagine. To flap our wings and those flutters reverberate throughout time and space. And eventually bring in the whole redemption of the world. Let's pray. Dear God, just uh, thank you for this story. Thank you for being our kinsman redeemer. God, I just pray for our community that we will not settle for a mundane life. That we will strive for an extraordinary life. God, I also just pray that when we fail and we will fail, that we won't feel guilty. But we will know that you have redeemed us for a purpose. That you love us and you have a plan for us. And that you will use everything that we give to you. We love you, Lord. Jesus. Amen. Thank you.